Welcome to the Halakha Hour on JRoot Radio. This is the Halakha Hour live on uh, Wednesday as we come every Wednesday. But is that the same today? We are live on Wednesday afternoon, right after the holiday of Shavuot. And by that the same, we are beginning a new season, a new parasha, and really a whole new subject in the Halakha Hour. Let's beforehand just give you a little bit of what we usually speak about, the introduction to how to reach us. 718-683-5858, those are the numbers to reach us in the studio, and like we usually say, we recommend, please call us at the end of the uh, of the class, as that the same will be able to answer specific questions at the end on the subjects that we spoke about or other things. Number two is the text line, and that's the best way to reach us. The text line is 347-927-8398. And you can listen, of course, 718-506-9099 and jrootradio.com. Just a little bit, <coughs> you know, just uh, it's a new season of Torah. It's a new year of Torah. As Hazal tell us that on the holiday of Shabbat, we are judged on Perota Ilan and the Sfarim bring down that this represents also how much a person is going to be zochet to Torah in that year. All depends on how much we worked on during the days of the Omer, and we prepared ourselves and we received the Torah. And the meaning and the idea of receiving the Torah is the potential of Torah. So we would like to give a little bit of a, um, just an introduction, I guess. You know, it's been already a few years that we're here on, on the radio. But uh, just to let people, you know, giving them a little bit of awareness what the class is all about. Here on the Halakha Hour, the usual time is at Wednesday, so far, Wednesday afternoons, and it's played on again in the evenings. We discuss halachot, the background of the halachot, a little bit of uh, a little bit of understanding of why the halachot are the way they are, and we try to always conclude with a practical application of these halachot, and we try to bring specifically halachot lemaaseh, and we try we try to work, you know, we try to do it uh, in a clear way. As much as we can. The way we give the halachot is usually we learn from the Sefer, the Benish Hai. And we are focused on the halachot of Shabbat. We started from the beginning. We're up to already Parashat Vayahi. We're up to a new parasha. The exception when we don't go through the Benish Hai, we mean to say that we don't give the class based on the Benish Hai, is when we have special topics to speak about, which usually come around holiday time. Anything around the holiday time, usually we put on the classes, we, we, we give over the, the halachot that have to deal with the holidays, and there we don't necessarily go through the Benish Hai. We're up to a new parasha in the Benish Hai, but before we get to new parasha, because it's after the holiday of Shabbat, maybe I would also, among the things that we do here in the hour, I would like to share a little bit of insight that uh, we could have picked up, I picked up personally, from the holiday of Shavuot. So there's a beautiful idea, there's a beautiful idea that uh, we'll share together. <coughs> I have two ideas over here, we'll only speak about one. The Gemara Masech Pesachim, over there tells us, a, a, the Gemara tells us a small two-line Gemara, but it's a very, very famous Gemara, because it's about the holiday of Shavuot. The Gemara Daf Samachet Amurbet says like this, Rabbi Yosef, on the day of Shavuot, would say, make for me the third calf. What's the third calf? So a calf, we know, is the son or the child of a cow. Calf is very, very delicious. That's veal. That's what we, what's sold in the market as veal. It's soft. It's delicious meat. In the times of Hazal, 
the third child of the cow was the, the tastiest. And it was obviously very rare because you were waiting for that third one. And it was a special delicacy. And people didn't have it on a regular basis. Even on the holidays, but still for the holiday of Shavuot, Rabbi Yosef would tell the people of his house, make for me that special food. It's a special, special dish on this day. What was so special about this day? Rabbi Yosef would say, because he says like this, Had it not been for this day that would have existed, would have happened, took place in the world, How many Yosefs are there in the market? In short, what Rabbi Yosef was saying, what I always understood at least of Yosef to say, is that really, we're all bothered by the question of why are we here? Every person needs to feel some sort of purpose and meaning in what he does. And he wants to understand why he's here, what's his task. Can you imagine a person who has a job? He's been working for a company for the last 15 years. His job is to uh, put things in bags. That's all he's told to do. And then you ask this person, you know, you've been with this company 15 years. What, you know, I know what you do. I know that you bag things. But what does a company do? What's your company? What does it do? I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know. All I do is I come in, I do my job, and I walk out. Right? It's hard to imagine such a situation. Because when we're doing something, although, of course, <clears throat> this employee will never get to the top. He's not even, he doesn't even know who the CEO is and, or the supervisors are. He's somebody very, very down on the uh, hierarchy list. But still... As human beings, we all want to understand what we're doing. What is our purpose here? So, in life, we're all created. We're all born in this world. We want to understand why we're here. What's our mission? Not just on the national level, but on the personal level. Why? What does Hashem want from me? Or what am I, whatever you want to say. Why am I here? How, how did I come to being? And what is my purpose? So, the Gemara, I always understood it was that Rabbi Yosef said... Before Matan Torah, before the Torah was given, the meaning of life, of why we live, was not something that's clear. It's left to person's opinion. Some people will tell you that we're created in order to enjoy life. And it makes sense because every time I partake of a pleasure, it, t- it feels good. And when I go through something very difficult in my life, it doesn't feel good. So it could be that that's what we're created for. And nobody would really have a clear answer. Once the Torah was given... Now I know. I'm not just a regular Joe walking the street. I'm, I, have, I have a mission in life. Yosef now takes on a different meaning. I have a purpose and a goal in my life. And this is why it calls for a celebration. And it calls for a celebration with the great feast. Bring me the third calf. Let me have this delicious calf. Why? Because has, had it not been for this day, I would have been just another Joe Shmo. This is one way I always understood the Gemara, but I believe there's another pshat into the Gemara, and a very, very important pshat in the Gemara that we heard over the holiday of Shavuot. It's based on the Gra. The Gra has a pirush on many things. He has a commentary on many things. He has also a commentary on Mishle. Now, before I get to the words of the Gra, I learned a very important lesson. That before you quote someone, if you're trying to, you know, quote someone that you, you want to have an you want to you know it's not the statement as much as who says the statement. Anybody could quote anything, and if a newspaper will say something just because it's in print, all of a sudden and it carries any weight. No, it depends who wrote it. 
It depends who the person behind the words. So before I get to tell you what the Gra writes, just a little bit about who the Gra was. The Gra is known even from the time when he was alive as the Gaon. Gaon in Hebrew means genius. He was someone like no other. One of his primary students is Rabbi Chaim Mevelajan. And Rabbi Chaim Mevelajan is known for starting the yeshiva of Velajan. That was the first model of the way that we have yeshivot today. That was the first one. Yeshiva of Velajan was not all yeshivot beforehand. All yeshivot beforehand, people came. Which, who was a student body? Anybody who lived in the city or in the proximity of the city. The yeshiva of Velajan was the yeshiva for all of the Jews of Europe. The greatest students from all over Europe came to that yeshiva. That's what the legend started. Now his primary student, when he was asked about his rabbi, when he was asked about the gra, of where you would put him, he said that the gra would be somewhere along with the Tanaim, with the rabbis of the Mishnah. Now he's not for this generation. He's somebody way above this generation. And I was talking about from when the Gra lived was about 300 years ago. So we can imagine how great the Gra was when he was even younger than the age of Bar Mitzvah. There was a time when it was, uh, he had to finish. He realized one night that he forgot to finish two Masechtot and whatever he wanted to finish. And in one night, he finished Masechet Zebahim Menachot. And anybody will tell you who learns Gemara, those are not short and they're not easy Masechtot. One more thing about the Gra just to appreciate his gadlut, to appreciate his greatness. The brother of the Gra, after finishing Shas 101 times, as the Gemara says, he says, although I finished Shas 101 times, I still don't know it as much as, much as my brother the Gra did when he was a young child. This is the Gaon. This is the Gra. So when we say something from the Gra, it should carry a lot of weight. It's somebody who, who has such a knowledge and depth in Torah and in life, that his words are not to be, you know, something, you know, taken lightly. So the Gras says, famous statement of the Gras. The Gras says that the main purpose of a person's life, why Hashem has given him life, is to break a trait that he hasn't broken until now. The main reason why Hashem gave a person life is that we should fix our character traits, that we should change, that we should grow, that we should become different people. And for this, one needs to always keep himself inspired. One needs to always push himself. It's not going to come natural. Natural is for a person to just relax and not to put any effort. You need to place great effort in doing this. And then the grass has a very, very sharp line, a very heavy line. And he says, if a person does not continue to push himself to grow, lama lo hayim. And what's the purpose that he has life? The Gra is telling us is that we're all born with natural character traits. We're all born with natural things. You see, as young children, you observe your kids, you'll see that they have certain things that just by nature, that's the way they are. And our goal in life is that we shouldn't just live our whole lives the way we were born. Just like we know, a person who's born into, into a certain... Uh, financial situation. Everybody knows that I'm going to make my financial situation better. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make, I want my kids to have it better than me. I want myself to have it better than the way I grew up, the way my father provided for me. 
This is the, the line that, that runs everybody's mind. Why? Maybe the way Hashem created you is the way you're supposed to be. If you were born into a poor family, don't bother. That's the way Hashem wants you to be. Nobody thinks that. Everybody knows that. No, no, financially, I'm supposed to make it better for myself. I have to have a more comfortable life. And therefore, I'll work hard to go up the ladder economically. Well, if you believe that's the way it is when it comes to your financial status, guess what? When it comes to your spiritual status, your midot, your character traits, your closeness to Hashem, you're supposed to always continue to grow. You're supposed to always get closer and closer to Hashem and you're always supposed to change yourself and to become a better person. Every moment we should be better than the, than the moment before. But at least every year we should grow a little bit more. The goal in life, the purpose in life is to always grow and to always change. And that's what the God tells us in that one heavy line. Comes Rabbi Yosef and says, If it wasn't for this day of Shavuot, How many Yosefs? My name is Rabbi Yosef. I became a Rabbi Yosef. I became a completely different person. I grew. I became a Tamir Hakam. I became a great man. And as Gemara Sotah says, Rabbi Yosef was one of the most humble people in the world. Rabbi Yosef is saying, how was I be able to, to be Zocheh? That shouldn't be like another person in the street who just lives the way you know, he was born, doesn't change anything about himself, continues to live life the way he lived it yesterday and the year before and the year before. The same person never going. How? It's this day that caused it. It's the Torah. It's the ability through the Torah to be able to change ourselves. To just decide to change is very difficult. But one who is osik by Torah, one who is constantly learning Torah, one who is busy not just learning Torah, but involved in the Torah and trying to keep it, the Torah says, could refine his character traits, could overcome the challenges in life and can become a better person. And he was going to always be growing. I heard the name of someone and he said a very great line that many people in life may accomplish many th good things. People could open up hospitals, tzedakah organizations, chesed institutions, unbelievable things. And really, it's very beneficial for all Klal Israel and for the, all of humanity. But Lav Davka, it's not necessarily that the people who are involved in these organizations will continue, will grow. There's no guarantee that they'll grow they might remain the same people with the same character traits throughout their whole entire life and never grow. Yes, they like to do hesed, that's the way they grew up, and they like to share their wealth with other people, but as far as a person, the person may never grow. There's no guarantee that you'll grow if you're involved in a hesed organization. But one who's going to classes, one who's involved in Torah, one who's constantly learning Torah, that's a promise of growth. And that's how a person accomplishes his life. And therefore, this day calls for a celebration for the greatest feast. Bring it to Eglat Tiltav. Bring me the third calf. Bring me that delicious food. This day deserves a great celebration. And go and spend on it. Why? Torah was given. It gave meaning in life and it gave us the ability to fulfill our purpose in life. This was what, what's so special about the holiday of Shavuot. Now, after this idea, let's go. Let's talk about what our goal is from now on. Like we said in the beginning, we are up to Parashat Vayehi 
in the, the Sefer Ben Ishai. I don't know if I'm going to disappoint you or not disappoint you, but we will be not be learning right now. I don't think this class and even the next class, we will not go into the book, inside the book yet, because in Parashat Vayahi, we already jump over to a whole new subject. Hilkot Shabbat could be pretty much divided into three categories. That's the way I look at it. We find the Torah in two places when it talks about Shabbat in the Aset brought in Parashat Yitro, the Torah says like this, I was just, like the, the Torah says, Zachor et yom ha-Shabbat Remember the day of Shabbat to make a Kadosh. What does it mean, remember the day of Shabbat? Hazal tell us, Zachrehu bidbarim shenimarim ala yayin. That's the mitzvah of Kiddush. Remember him with those kind of mitzvah. And then there's another commandment in Parashat Vayetanan, there are also there in Aset Adibrot. When it talks about Shabbat, it changes a little bit. Instead of saying Zachot Yom Shabbat, the Torah says, Shamor et Yom HaShabbat LeKadisho. Guard the Shabbat. And this, these two mizvot, Zachor and Shamor, are actually completely two different things. Two different types of halakhot when it comes to Shabbat. The difference between Zachor and Shamor is being proactive as opposed to taking safety measures. Zachor means being proactive. Go out and do something for Shabbat. That means when Shabbat comes, go and make Kiddush. If you sit around and you don't make Kiddush, although you haven't done any, you haven't transgressed the, the Mazah of Shamor, but you have not fulfilled the Mazah of Zachor. Zachor calls upon us to take action, be proactive. Shamor is the exact opposite. Shamor is by refraining and taking safety measures, like the word Shomer, which means a guard. A guard is always on the lookout. He's not necessarily doing anything. If there's no action, then that's, that's a great. The guard has done a tremendous job. Shamorit Yom Shabbat, by just refraining and taking safety measures from transgressing Shabbat, a person also can fills a mitzvah de oraita and one of the greatest mitzvot, which is guarding the Shabbat. So these are the first two categories. The categories of Zachor and the categories of Shamor. What is included in the, in the category of Shamor? Which halachot? Pretty much all the halachot of Shabbat that people know about. All the melachot, like cooking and carrying and putting on the fire. All the 39 melachot are under the, the heading of Shamor. The third category is what I call the halachot in between. Those are... Some, a lot of not some, a lot of them are drabanan, and some are even midibre kabbalah. What is midibre kabbalah? Not the hebejibi kabbalistic, but the kabbalah over here means midibre nebiim, the tradition that we have from the prophets. Those are things that we find, for example, in Sefer Shaya, where it talks about how to keep Shabbat. We spoke much about these halachot. Some of these examples of these halachot is what one could speak about on Shabbat which comes from the Pasuk, how one should walk on Shabbat, what a person is allowed to look at on Shabbat, Mukseh, right, we spent almost a year on the subject of Mukseh, all that is really hazal from the, what we call the Rabbanans, and although the Rabbanans sounds like, oh, it's something the rabbis made up, it's really Rabbanan, as the Ramban says, the Rabbanans, the Shbuts on Shabbat, are actually on a much more stringent level than all other regular derabanans. The Shibut, the Isud Rabbanan of Shabbat, is much higher level. It shouldn't be regarded as regular plain derabanans. It should be regarded as 
something closer to the oraita. That's the third category of halachot, the halachot in between. So if you notice, if you've been following us till now, I don't mean on Twitter, we don't have Twitter or Facebook, but if you've been listening to the classes till now, what we've done, and if you learned the Ben Yishai from Parashat Bereshit until the end of Parashat Vayigash, we've discussed the halachot of Havdalah, of Kiddush, we've discussed the halachot also of Mukseh, of what a person is allowed to speak about on Shabbat, what you're allowed to tell a goy on Shabbat, all these halachot are midrabanan, and the zakhor and the halachot in between pretty much have been covered. I wouldn't say everything, but pretty much we've covered some of the main halachot midrabanan. From Parashat Yehi, it's already in a different category of halachot, and that's halachot of the th- of shamor, shamor etom Shabbat kadosh. All the thirty-nine melachot and all its details. From now, our focus will turn to the 39 Melachot. So, before we begin, as we usually do, we like to give an introduction to the subject that we're going to speak about. So, before we begin the Melachot, before we get into the Ben Yishai, I figured that I want to give a little bit of an introduction to the 39 Melachot in general, to Shabbat, its importance, and exactly what does it mean, these 39 Melachot, what are the 39 Melachot, and of course, in very, very general, basic any one of these things that we're going to speak about today, literally we could spend hours talking about it and its importance. But we just want to give a small little bit of an introduction to everything. Let's start with the importance and the severity of Shabbat Kodesh. Notice, first of all, that whenever the Sfarim speak about Shabbat, they're always calling it Shabbat Kodesh. Motzai Shabbat Kodesh. Shabbat Kodesh. Shabbat Kodesh. Shabbat is not, you know, we speak in a regular language, we always say Shabbat. But if you look in the Sfarim, Shabbat is always added to Shabbat Kodesh. Why is that? That just shows you a little bit that we don't say, for example, Yom Kippur Kodesh. Everybody knows Yom Kippur. Oh, even the furthest Jew is in Shul. Yom Kippur Kodesh never has such a thing. Uh, Korbanot Kodesh. Usually when we refer to other mitzvot, as important as they are in people's eyes, we don't give it the subtitle of Kodesh. Shabbat is always given the subtitle of Kodesh because it is that way. It's Kedusha is higher than any other Kedusha. It's higher even than all the holidays. That's why whenever you look in the Torah, when it talks about the other holidays, usually we're gonna, we stick in over there the command of Shabbat. When the Torah and Parashat Emo wants to speak about all the other holidays, first and foremost, we, the Torah speaks about Shabbat. In fact, seven parashiot in the Torah, in seven different parashiot in the Torah, the Torah talks, commends about Shabbat. Even though all the details of Shabbat are not found in the Torah, the Torah only speaks about one detail. That's it, one detail. All the details of of the of the of the of Shabbat are found in the words of Hazal. They're found in the Gemara, in the Torah Alpe. But yet, the Torah repeats it in seven different parashiyot. You want to hear some important things about Shabbat from the Midrash, from the Gemara? The Gemara says, "Kol Hashomer Shabbat Kilchato." Any person who guards Shabbat according to Halakha, that means you keep Shabbat according to Halakha. Gemara says in Shabbat, Even if it's a person who worships Abadah Zarah, like the generation of Enosh, that's a third generation in humanity, in human history, that's a grandchild of Adam Harishon. The Gemara tells us that in that time, they already started leaning towards Abu Dazara. Abu Dazara was started in that generation. Can you imagine a person who started, he broke from the Jewish community. 
he opened up his own, uh, for, I don't want to say line, but he opened up his own explanation of Judaism, and he became the leader of a new sect in Judaism, and that sect in Judaism is going to worship now Abu Dazara. Can you imagine such a person? And then he's Hosea Chuba. And he comes back, he says, you know, I want to start keeping Shabbat Kilchato. According to Halakha, like the way we learned it in Halakha, I'm going to keep everything. Says the Gemara, even though this person went so far, he broke off from the community and he was worshipping Abu Dazara, the greatness of Shabbat, the merit of Shabbat, will allow him to be forgiven for his Avira of Abu Dazara. Another statement, we'll give you just a few statements, I don't want to spend too much time, three, four statements. Another statement in the Gemara, the Gemara says, had the Jewish people kept two Shabbatot according to Halakha, Hashem would have redeemed them immediately. And the Peleyoyets and all the Sifrim Musar all say the same thing. Rabotai, we want Geula, we got to focus on Shabbat Kodesh. We have to be very, very careful in Shabbat because our Geula, clearly the Gemara says, it's dependent and how we keep Shabbat. And again, the emphasis notice over here, Shamru makes it's not just the feeling of Shabbat. Now we're not going to work. No, to know the details of Shabbat, to know what's Borer and to know what's Mebashel and if it's Dirabanan. You have to do it according to the halakha. We would be redeemed on the spot. Another statement the Gemara says in the Midrash, Shekula Shemirat Shabbat Kechol HaTorah Kula. The keep if you keep Shabbat, it's as equal as you keep the entire Torah. One who keeps Shabbat is like he keeps the entire Torah. And in one last midrash, he says, Don't think that just oh that's that statement, you know. Some people explain that's the above statement. Had the Jewish people kept two Shabbat, oh, they would have been redeemed. That's talking about Dorham Midbar. There are some Ifrashim that explain it that way. But comes this Gemara and says, No. You want to know how the Jewish people will be redeemed? Only by, in the zikhut, in the merit of Shabbat. We see the importance of Shabbat. By the way, these are just a few lines. They're, they're full, has, the words of Hazal, Midrash, and the Gemara, it's full in the praise and talking about the importance and the praise of Shabbat Kodesh. The Zohar himself is packed with statements about Shabbat. And this is all from the words of Hazal. I'm not even talking about the Rishonim and the Ahronim and the Sifrei Musar and the Sifrei Mahshabah and the Sifrei Hasidut. You know, some Sifrei Hasidut, almost every single Ma'amar of almost every single Devre uh, Torah or idea that's brought down is always connected to Shabbat. Anybody who reads Shem Mishmuel, one of my favorite books, Shem Mishmuel, you see he always sticks in Shabbat. Nitivot Shalom, always Shabbat. Somehow or another, he connects to Shabbat. Shabbat takes on a central role in Judaism. In everything that we do. Look at how we go on with the weekday. Today, what's today? Shabbat Kodesh. Shabbat Kodesh? What's Shabbat Kodesh? Today is Wednesday. What does that have to do with Shabbat Kodesh? When you count the week, make sure you mention Shabbat. That's how important Shabbat is. Shabbat's got to be on our minds. It's, it's a central uh, focus of attention. Zohar says, when on Shabbat comes, all new souls come. To this world, each person gets a new neshama and you get this fresh neshama. Whose neshama do you get on Shabbat? You know, we get an extra neshama on Shabbat. We spoke about that in the past. Whose neshama do you get? It's a neshama of the tzaddikim in Gan Aydin. 
Can you imagine the tzaddikim sitting in Gan They already made it. They're home. No, Shabbat, they want to come back to this world. They want to partake in the pleasures of this world, of course, the spiritual pleasures, on Shabbat Kosher. They come back down to this world, and you are Zocheh to be the host of those neshamot in your body. Zohar says, there's no din in Shamayim on Shabbat. Even the people who are, who are in Gehinam, the people who are sinners, and they're being cleansed for their sins, Shabbat, they take a break. Shabbat, they also get off for Shabbat. Not a weekend, but they get off for Shabbat. And the Zohar also says that the greatest pleasure, of course he's talking about spiritual pleasure, the greatest spiritual pleasure available in this world is Shabbat Kodesh. That fits in very well with what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that that Shabbat is one out of sixtieth of Ulam Habba. What's a Shabbat? One out of sixtieth of Ulam Habba? Once heard from Rabbi Akiva Tetz, who is now uh, on the radio, by the way, every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock. This is a beautiful pshat. Where do we find this number one out of 60th? We find it in the halakhot of halab. That means if I'm cooking a meat dish and dairy falls in, the halakhot tells us if the dairy is one out of 60th of the meat, that means there's only 59 amount, 59, uh, let's say, let's do pounds. There's 59 pounds of meat and one pound of dairy. And they're all mixed together. I can't find where the milk is. It's all mixed together. So in that case, we say that the food is asur. If there's more than that, if there's 60 times more than the milk, that means there's 60 pounds to the one pound of milk inside. So then in that case, we say that the flavor of the milk is gone. You can't feel it. You can't taste it anymore. But one out of 60, you'll be able to taste the milk. That's the meaning also that Shabbat is one out of sixtieth of Allah Mabba. It means that if a person keeps Shabbat according to Halakha, a person observes Shabbat like the way he's supposed to observe Shabbat, with all the details, you will taste Allah Mabba, and you'll taste your own Allah Mabba. Yes, that is the greatness of Shabbat. That's what the Zohar is saying. You want, you want to taste the greatest pleasure in the world. We know that's Allah Mabba. You get a sample. Shabbat, they give you a little bit of a sample of what it's going to be in Ulam Haba. Now, this is talking the praise of Shabbat. But at the same time, we have to keep another important thing in mind. That Shabbat also is very, very, very important to Hashem. And if you don't, if you can't just say, you know what, I understand, I appreciate Hashem, I, I really, you know, I'm so thankful to you, I appreciate that you've given us the gift of Shabbat, but, you know, not for me. Not for me. I, you know, I have my own pleasures. Yes, yes, I know I'm missing out, but I liked it this way. You go to a wedding, they ask you, you want steak or you want chicken or fish? I like fish. What do you want from me? I like fish. Yes, I know the steak is more delicious. I want the fish. So maybe a guy will come along and say, you know, I understand 165. Very good. But I want enjoy Ulam Hazay. I don't want Ulam Abba. I mean to say, you know, I want to be able to enjoy this world in my own way. No, 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 no. You have to know that Shabbat is also very, very hamur, very, very stringent. It's very important in the eyes of Hashem. Says the Rambam, a very important rule. Rambam says, based on the Mishnah Prakavot, that we have no permission to grade mitzvot. That means I can't come along and say, you know, the 630 mitzvot, 248 mitzvot, I can't come along and say, uh, you know, sukkah is more important than tefillin, and the mitzvah of 
Um, th- this mitzvah of uh, you know shaking new lab is more important than hadlakat nero, and that's uh, don't matter. Okay, but you can't come along basically and grade mitzvah and say which one is be- better than the other one. Any that's why we have a rule: any mitzvah that comes to your hand, you do the mitzvah right away. Even though you might miss out on the different mitzvah, how do you know which one is more important? The mitzvah that comes to you, you do it immediately. That's a mitzvah taaseh. Says the Rambam, mitzvah lo taaseh. When the Torah commands, don't do something, then we know how to grade them. We know which is more severe. How do we know which mitzvah or which really which avirah is more severe from the mitzvah lo taaseh from the 365 avirot? Says the Rambam, very simple. Look in the Torah. See how the Torah prescribed punishment. To the Averot. Based on the punishment, you'll know the severity of the, of the Isur. The greater the punishment, the greater the Isur is. That's how the Rambam gives us the formula to figuring out the value or the grade of the Mizvot Lotase. So there's a lot of different punishments for Mizvot Lotase. Some could be as light as, you know, just a love. And then Hashem will take care of you after 120, or maybe with Yisurim. Some can be Malkut. And we know there's also execution. Now, execution is not a common thing. Execution is very, very rare. The punishment of execution, you know, doesn't come so regularly. It's only given for severe avirot. But even within execution, there are four ways that we can execute someone, or the Beit Din can execute someone. The four ways, I'm going from the lightest to the most stringent. The lightest is Hanik, which means the, por- the person is executed by Beidin through choking. The second way that Beidin could, could execute someone is through Hedim. Right, simply take a sword and they chop the person's head off. Third way we execute someone is Serifa. This doesn't mean ISIS style, Hasbe Shalom. Serifa means that hot lead is thrown inside of a person's body and it burns his insides. And finally, the last form of execution is something known as sekila. Not like when people have a misconception. They think sekila is chucking stones at the guy and killing him. Yes, there was such a form of execution in the Torah for a special case. But the sekila that's, that, uh, that's prescribed by the Torah for a, person, for a certain avirot is a person's taken to a certain level above ground, which is usually two times his height. And then he's pushed off and he falls down to his death. That's Sekila. It's not even so far. It's not like the 60th floor. We're talking about something like about the first floor or second floor in a building. All depends on the person's height. Those are the four ways we execute someone. The most severe punishment to execute someone is the execution known as Sekila, where a person is thrown off to his death. Shabbat, when transgressed in a certain way, the punishment that Torah says, it's Hayab Sekila. Torah says, Mehaleleha Motumat. And the double words of Motumat usually tells us it means it's Hayab Sekila. Can you imagine? Right? A person who commits murder, the Hafez Haim says, a person who commits murder is Hayab Mita also. What's a Mita? His Hedib. We chop off his head. And we all know the severity of murder. Yet when a person transgresses Shabbat, the Torah says clearly is Hayab Sekila. We go back to the Rambam's formula. You want to know the value of uh, Avera? Look at the punishment. 
if Shabbat, the punishment for transgressing Shabbat is secular, it means that this is the most severe avirah that a person could do in this world. Halul Shabbat. Halul Shabbat is very, very severe. It's not something to be taken lightly. And it's not just that, yes, we keep, we keep Shabbos. No. Because a person could transgress Shabbat, although, you're right, it's not going to be on purpose. But a person could transgress Shabbat and be a avira that's in the category of sekila. Throughout all of Hazal, you look throughout all of Shas, and it's that way also in Halakha. A person who desecrates Shabbat publicly in Mehalel Shabbat has the same status as a goy. He is viewed as a goy. The same way as a goy who touches kosher wine, that's not Mebushal, he turns it into Yain Nesek, which becomes forbidden in drinking. And that's the same thing if a Jew who is Mehalel Shabbat Mephalhesia, if he touches kosher wine, he also makes it forbidden in drinking. A person who's Mehalel Shabbat is considered like he's kofir over the whole entire Torah. This is just but a few examples of the severity of Shabbat. It shouldn't be taken lightly. Yes, Shabbat is the time when we get the greatest pleasure. But even if you're not in the mood, you, you want to opt out, you want to go and do something else, you want to enjoy it in a different way, Shabbat. You want to enjoy Saturday. You have no, it's not, so, it's not so simple. It's actually not simple at all. It's very, very severe. Shabbat is very important to Hashem because one who is mehalel Shabbat, one who doesn't keep Shabbat the right way, it's like he's denying the creation of the world. Because how was the world created? Six days Hashem created the world and on the seventh day he rested. Our resting on Shabbat according to the way the halakha prescribes is a testimony that there was a God in the world who has created the world in seven days, like the way it says in the Torah. It's me'amet, it testifies that there's a God in the world, it testifies that there's a, the, the Torah that we have is emet. This is done not by speech, but by action. By us keeping Shabbat, we are a walking testimony. Every time that goy drives in the summer, on, when it's 100 degrees and he has the AC blasting, and he sees the religious Jews walking with their suits and they're walking and the ladies are walking with the long dresses and they're schwitzing because they want to walk to a simha. He says, I don't understand these Jews. Come, I'll give you a ride. No, 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 thank you. It's our day of rest. We, we, we want to walk. That, that message is being sent to everybody. We don't do melachot on Shabbat because God created the world. And just like God didn't do Melachon Shabbat, we're also not doing Melachon Shabbat, no matter what the circumstances are. That's a little bit of an introduction to the severity and importance of Shabbat. Let's jump to the introduction of the, Korba, the Melachot. We know that there are 39 Melachot. What's the source that there are 39 Melachot? It's from the Torah Shabbat Alpeh. You won't find it in the Torah. Torah does not say there are 39 things, don't do them on Shabbat. The only thing the Torah talks about Shabbat that you're not allowed to do is This does not mean that the laws of Shabbat are limited to just putting on a fire. There is a reason why the Torah mentioned that specific Isur. We'll talk about it in a different time. But the 39 Melachot are known, come as Halakhal Moshe Misenai. It's from an oral tradition. Yet we find that it's connected, Hazal connected it in the Pesukim. And where do we see that connection? In Parashat Vayakhil. When Hashem came to, excuse me, when Moshe came 
and he gathered all the Jewish people to tell them how to build the Mishkan. It says Moshe gathered all the Jewish people together, and then when he came to tell them about the Mishkan, Moshe begins to talk and to warn the Jewish people about the building, about transgressing Shabbat. He says, These are the things Hashem has commanded, and then he goes into six days you could do work, on the seventh day you cannot do work. So we have a tradition that the reason why Shabbat is mentioned right by the building or by the commandment to build the Mishkan is because the 39 melachot that we have as an oral tradition that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat are actually very, very linked to the way the Jewish people constructed the Mishkan. Many of the halachot of Shabbat, if not all the halachot of Shabbat, are actually learned from them. The rules of Hadim melachot are to be uh, are done, which makes them asur, are learned from the way the Mishkan, things that were done in the Mishkan. In fact, the 39 Melachot, Hazal tell us, is learned from the remes of the words, Eleh Debarim. Eleh, which is Aleph Lamed Hey, is the same numerical value as 36. Debarim, says the Gemara, Debarim means literally two, right? Minimum at least. And the extra Hey is alluding to an additional Melachah. Debarim, minimum two, plus the he is another three, plus the gemach of Ele, that's 36. We have the 39 melachot. And many halachot, like we said, I learned the way it was done in the Mishkan. In order for melacha to qualify as one of the 39 melachot, it has to have been a melacha that was done in the Mishkan. Now this number 39 may f- sound familiar, because it is. You know why? Because we find the Torah in Parashat Shilah says, Right after the talks about Shabbat, right towards the end of the parasha, Torah talks about the strings of the tzitzit having strings at the end of a man's clothing, which is known as the mezvah tzitzit. The mezvah tzitzit, if you look up Shohan Aruch, we find that when you make the strings on the corners of the garment, we make, according to the Sephardim, at least the Ashkenazim just make a wrap, we make 39 knots, 39 small little knots, or I want to call them uh, wrappings, on the string, on the, on the tzitzit. And we know the person who keeps the mitzvah, a person who observes the mitzvah of tzitzit, it's like he's keeping the whole entire Torah. Hazrat tells the same thing by Shabbat, 39 and 39. Both of them are a new, uh, a person who keeps the 39 melachot, he doesn't transgress the 39 melachot, it's also equal, equivalent to keeping the entire Torah. And Hazal speak also that the Mishkan is equated to the building, uh, the building of the Mishkan is equated to the creation of the world. So therefore, if a per- and just like the creation of the world, that's where Shabbat started from. A person, by keeping these Tarina Melachot, which were the way the Mishkan was built, and you're refraining from doing these Tarina Melachot, you're also refraining from a creation in the world. Now there's a few basic rules that are relevant to all Melachot. You should know, the rules of the Melachot and the Av Melachah and Toldan, they're very, very complicated and they may, to an average person, you know, who's not so into Gemara and not so into the Halakha, especially ladies who are not so familiar with it, it might sound very confusing. And there's a lot to speak about. So we decided that we're not going to bring everything in one shot, not to confuse everybody. If we see that there's certain terminologies and certain halachic uh, cases where certain rules are needed, we need to understand them. We'll bring them when we discuss that specific melacha in detail. Then we'll bring up those rules that are relevant 
to a specific melacha or a specific case. We're just going to bring you a simple, a very, very basic, very, very basic rules about melachot in general. The way a person could transgress these melachot could be in one of three ways. And each way, although he's done in Isud Deoraita, each way that a person does it will make a difference in his punishment, in the consequence. Let's start with the lightest. There's a way where a person can transgress the melacha. Let's pick, for example, fire. We said one of the 39 melachot is putting on fire. So a person could put on fire on Shabbat in one of three ways. Number one is he could put on fire in what's known as shogig. What is shogig? People loosely translate the word shogig as a mistake. That's not really what shogig means. Shogig has a definition in halakha. Shogeg means that a person forgets one of two things. He forgets for the moment that he's, that he's doing the melacha, he forgets that it's either today is Shabbat, although he's fully aware of what he's doing, or he forgets that what he's doing is asul on Shabbat, although he's fully aware that it's Shabbat. Let's use a mashal of making a bonfire. A person wants to make a bonfire for Lag Baumer. He's excited. He knows that Lag Baumer is on Sunday. He wakes up and on Shabbat morning thinking that it's Sunday. He goes outside and he starts making a fire. And his kids say, Abba, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a bonfire. Okay, kids have, you know, must have been kids from 100 years ago because they have such kibbutz avayim, they don't want to tell their father anything, that, you know, that it's really Shabbat today. So they don't say anything. They were talking about little kids over here. Okay, and Abba's making a fire. A person goes ahead and he makes a fire. His neighbor walks by, he says, Hey, Moishala, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, what are you talking about? Yeah, today's Shabbos. Hey, how come you got a fire going on over here? Ooh, he forgot that today is Shabbat. So that's called Shogig. The person, Moishala, was aware that fire is Asur on Shabbat. But for that moment that he's making the fire, he knows that he's making the fire, but he forgot that today is Shabbat. This is called Shogig where he forgot at that moment that Shabbat, although he found out about it later on, but the moment he's doing the Isur, he forgot Shabbat. That's one way that a person could do an Avirah Bishogig. Another form, another way that a person could do an Avirah Bishogig is, let's take the same Majal. A person wakes up knowing fully away that today's Shabbat. He had a little bit of amnesia, I don't know what happened to him, but he completely forgot that putting on a fire is Asur on Shabbat. Didn't know, completely forgot about it. He thought that based on the new technology that today, you know, the LED, so maybe there's such a thing as an LED fire. I don't know. The guy completely didn't know that this was a sword. So he makes his bonfire on Shabbat. His neighbor walks by. He tells him, hey, good Shabbos, neighbor. And the neighbor tells him, hey, Moshe, are you making a fire on Shabbos? Like, no, 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 this is mutar. Because I heard a shear where it's, where it's mutar. He says, no, man, you messed up the shear. That's not what the Rav meant. And the Rav meant something else. <gasps> oh, you're right. So here, he thought that making a fire was mutar on Shabbat. So that's called, he still didn't, he still put on the fire. That's called doing a melacha b'shogeg. Doing a melacha b'shogeg, in our days, you know, you know, there's not so much of a ramification, you did an avira, but in the times when we have a Beit HaMikdash, and when the Beit HaMikdash comes, then the isur is, I mean, the, the consequence is that we have to bring, the person who, this Moishala, has to bring a Kuban Hatta to the Beit HaMikdash. A person who did transgress Shabbat Bishogeg in such a way that we explained should write down on his phone 
or anywhere that he knows it's not going to get lost. And when Beit HaMikdash comes, he's going to be Hayab or Kurban Hatat. That's one way of transgressing the Melachot. A second way of transgressing the Melachot is when a person knows that Shabbat and he knows what he's doing is Asur and he does it anyway. Such a person, when he does such a, the Isra on Shabbat, with full knowledge at the time of the Avira that he's doing in Avira, that he's, let's say he's making a bonfire. He goes out on Shabbat, he starts setting up for the bonfire. His neighbor says, Hey, Moishullah, what are you doing? It's Shabbos today. He says, Yeah, I know. Oh, but you know, you're not allowed to make a fire. He says, Yeah, I know. I know, Shabbos, I'm making a fire. <gasps> okay, so this person who's Mehalel Shabbat in such a way, since he wasn't warned by two witnesses, according to Halakha, if a person is going to be hayab on a punishment from a bed din, he has to be warned by two people before or at the time that he's doing the avira. Here, his neighbor just, Yankala, just told him, hey, you know, it's, it's Shabbos, it's only one person that warned him. So in such a case, his punishment will be karet. Karet is a punishment that's left for Hashem to take care of where a person will die young in his life. The third way a person could be Mehalil Shabbat is that take, let's take the same scenario. Moshe wakes up, very uh, not in the mood to keep Shabbat. He decides he's going to make a bonfire on Shabbat. Now two of his neighbors walk by. He says, Moshe, what are you doing? You're setting up a bonfire. It's us to put on a fire on Shabbos. He says, I know. It's Shabbos today. What are you doing? He says, I know. I don't care. At the same time that they warn him, you know, if you do this, you're going to be Hayab Sekila. He doesn't care. He goes ahead and he does it anyway. Since he transgressed Shabbat, he put on the bonfire with a warning by two witnesses, then that person is Hayab Sekila. We take Moishula and we execute him through Sekila the way we explained before. So again, let's review. There are three ways a person can do the Avirah on Shabbat. Either Beshogeg, where he forgets at the time the Avirah that's done, that was Shabbat today or that this Menachah specifically is Asur. Second way is that he has full knowledge that Shabbat and the Mechaz Asur, but he hasn't received the proper warning, whether he had no warning at all, or even if he was warned but only by one person, then he's Hayab Karet. And the third way is when he was warned by two kosher Jews that he's doing an Isur Shabbat, and he does it anyway, then it'll be Hayab Sekila. Now you probably are wondering, what about... Yes, there is a fourth way. The fourth way is called Mitasek. Mitasek means that... Although he may have knowledge of what's a surah on Shabbat, and he knows that's Shabbat, he had no intention of doing the melachab at all. What does that mean? That means a person who was, uh, the classic example, a person is walking by, he's going to his kitchen. Let's assume right now we're, talk, we're dealing with electricity where it's a surah de oraita to put on, where the light bulb is a surah de oraita. So a person's walking, he's trying to walk in his kitchen, as he's about to walk into his kitchen, somebody's coming out. He says, oh, excuse me, sorry. He moves over to the side, and by mistake, he bumps into the light switch. He put on the light. Had he, done, had he put on the light on Shabbat on purpose, then it would have been, like we said, if it was with witnesses, sekila, and without witnesses, it would have been karet. And if he woke up in the morning and he didn't know Shabbat, it would have been shogeg. In this case, he was involved in moving away. His intention was to move away from the person coming from the other side of him. And he didn't mean to touch a light. He didn't even realize that there was a light switch over there. In such a case, that's called mit'asik. Unlike the person who's a shogeg, shogeg has to bring a korban. But a person who's mit'asik is not even considered that he's done an isu de'oraita. 
it's you know you, you I can't tell you it's the banan because there's nothing that that you you know that you could tell him to not do. Of course, he doesn't want to put it on. He was doing something that's mutar, and something is soon happened along the way. That's called mutasik. If you look in the Chol Shabbat, in the Rambam, or if you look in the Gemara, you'll see the term hayab many times. The Gemara will say, "Oh, if a person does this, he's hayab. If a person takes this thing out into the public area, he's hayab." Whenever we see the terminology as hayab, it means that a person has done an isur deoraita. Now, how he did it will determine the consequence. Mean to say, the Gemara will say, for example, that a person who carries, uh, let's say, a cup of wine that's the size of a rabi'id, he carries it from Rishut Yahid to Rishut Rabim is Hayab, which means he's doing in his sur midoraita. Had he done it with a warning, Sekila. If he forgot that Shabbat, then it's Shogig. And if he knew about it without warning, it'll be Hayab Karit. That's what it means when you find the word Hayab in Halakha or in the Gemara. When the Gemara says Patur, it means Patur from a Korban, but it's still Asud Rabbanan. And when the Gemara says Mutar or Patur Miklum, it means that it's permitted. So therefore, when you're learning Gemara or you're learning Halakha and you hear the word or you come across the terminology Hayab on Shabbat or even Patur, and nowadays it makes no difference so much because the difference will only be if we're obligated to bring a Korban or not. But as far as Asur, they're all Asur. And I want to point out one more thing, one more thing before we finish the class. Another introduction to the Melachot, that is that you find in the Gemara that specific Melachot, almost all of them, have a certain measurement that in order to be Hayab for it. This When the Gemara says that you only Hayab if you do this much, it just means to have to bring a korban. I'll give you an example. One of the third Namirachot is writing. So the Gemara says, what's called writing? If a person writes two letters, he writes Aleph bit, then he's gonna be Hayyam to bring a korban. Let's say he did it Bishogig. But if a person only wrote one letter, the Gemara says then he's not Hayab. This does not mean that's mutar. Like we said, although something person might not be Hayab, but it's still. Uh, you know, it's still Asumid Rabbanan, but actually, in this case, when a person only does a little bit of the Isur, then it's still Asud de Oraita. The whole reason why the Gemara gives measurements to certain Melachot is just to tell you when there's a Beit Mikdash, then what would be the Korban? Or if we have a Beit Din, a Sanhedrin, where we're going to execute him, how much of the Avera does he have to do in order to be subject to the death penalty? But if a person does even less than the prescribed amount of the Gemara, it will, he would still be doing in his Sud Deoraita. This is what's known in the Gemara as Hatsi Shi'ur Asumun HaTorah. That means even less than the prescribed amount in the Gemara, it's still Asum Deoraita. The measurements were only given to tell us how to punish a person, how to judge a person and to make him Hayab or not. This is a very important thing to keep in mind. And this, by the way, this rule of Hatsis Yomar Asumna Torah is not only by Shabbat. This is a rule throughout the whole entire Torah. For example, Torah Gemara says, if a person eats non-kosher meat, he's Hayab Malkut. We give him lashes. How much of non-kosher meat does a person have to eat in order to be Hayab? And it says Kizayit, about an ounce. What if a person only has a half an ounce of non-kosher meat? Horse meat. All he has is a half of a Kizayit. He has a half an ounce. 10 grams 
of of horse meat. He still didn't isur the oraita, although we can't give him lashes. So this is very important. Even in Hilchot Shabbat, when the halakha tells us, for example, by certain melachot, like let's say by writing or let's say by stitching, in order to be hayam oraita or hayab korban, you have to do two stitches. If a person did one stitch on Shabbat, it's still asur midde oraita. Okay, with this we will conclude our introduction to 39 melachot. Next week, Vazat Hashem, we will go through the 39 melachot. We're not going to go through so much detail. We're just going to introduce what they are and a few small examples how they were in the Mishkan and a few small examples. Make sure you tune in next week, Wednesday, 2 o'clock, Vazat Hashem. Meanwhile, we are signing off. We'll give you the numbers again. If you want to contact us, 718-683-5858. If you want to call us to the radio with any questions or even comments and feedback, we'd love to hear it. You could email us at halakhahour at gmail.com. That is open anytime, not only now. And of course, you can text us 347-927-8398. We'll be here in the radio station for a few more minutes to answer any of your questions or comments. Thank you for listening in. This class will be aired on again tonight. Hopefully, I on again tonight. I hope we're able to get it on at 10 o'clock. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Rav Nisim, for hosting us. And to everybody else, to all our listeners, have a wonderful week and a Shabbat Shalom.